You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. Well, for 33 years, uh, God kicked up dirt. God, man, Jesus, laughing, eating, talking, and uh, loving on his family and on his friends. But for the last three years of his life, he walked the land preaching the kingdom, healing the sick, and raising the dead. Jesus the Christ literally means Jesus the promised anointed royal one. The one promised. His name in their language means Savior Healer. And Jesus is exactly that. And today is a holiday. Today is Palm Sunday. And today is the beginning of uh, a Christian holiday known as Passion Week. And uh, today is Palm Sunday. It's the day that he entered Jerusalem the last week of his life before the cross, and they celebrated his entry because they thought that he was going to bring some sort of revolution against the, against the Roman military. So they were shouting, Hosanna, save us, because they saw the Messiah as one who would start a government on earth, but God has a different kingdom in mind. So he was celebrated that Sunday, and they laid palm branches down and waved them, shouting, Hosanna. And that's why we call this Palm Sunday. And as the week began, he spent a week ministering in the city of Jerusalem. And then when Thursday came, the last 24 hours of his life, everything, everything came down to that last 24 hours. But when he walked into Jerusalem, there was no doubt on his mind what he was here to do. Look at this in Luke 18, 31. It says, Jesus took the 12 aside and he told them, we're going up to Jerusalem. And everything that is written by the prophets and the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be handed over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. But on the third day, he will rise again. The disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them, and they did not know what he was talking about. So he told them before he even got there, guys, we got, this is it. This is my last week before I hit to the cross, before I'm put to death. And they're like, Jesus, what? I was uh, watching this video online and this person, it was this video of the passion. And we're going to, by the way, we're going to see some images from the passion of the Christ today. And I'm going to give you a warning that uh, some of them are graphic. And a little bit later on, we're going to play some of that video. And I want you to, to be prepared. And if you feel uncomfortable, but you have small children, you're not sure if they should be viewing that, I'm, I'm letting you know ahead of time. But I, I was watching some of that, some of the footage uh, online and there some of the comments there. And one of them was going, someone was going, no, you know, zero, 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 exclamation. No, Jesus, don't do it. No, don't die. And I'm thinking, uh, they don't realize that they're actually going a very against the will of God when they say something like that. In fact, when Peter told Jesus, I will never let that happen to you, Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. What you're, what you're saying is, is demonic. This is my plan. The devil wouldn't, doesn't want me to die. You need to realize the cross was not Satan's plan to kill Jesus. The cross was Jesus' plan to save us. And he knew that. So everything was for this moment. And it came down to the last 24 hours of his life recorded in the Bible and in history. Today, I want to share with you the passion 
of Jesus. Let's start with that last 24 hours. 6 p.m. Thursday night, they had a Passover meal. The Passover was a holiday. It was a 1,446-year-old holiday that celebrated the promise of deliverance as they were set free from Egypt. And they celebrated that Passover and that freedom that God gave them when they escaped from the clutches of Pharaoh through God's hand. So they would meet every year at Passover, the time of year when they were set free, and they would have this meal to remember all that God did to set them free and to deliver them from the bondage of slavery. Well, this final meal with his disciples and friends became the very last time they would break bread before he died. He prays for them. He loves on them. He laughs with them and he prepares them and he sends out Judas to do what's on his heart to do and that is to betray Jesus. By the time it came 11 p.m., they had already finished meal and Jesus goes out to his favorite place to pray with his three closest disciples, Peter, James, and John, and they struggled to stay awake while Jesus cried out to God. He cried out to the Father in heaven And it was so intense that the Bible says that he sweat blood. And that's a real real event where your capillaries burst and blood begins to come out through your sweat glands. And Jesus began to sweat blood as he cried out for God's will to be done, knowing what he was about to endure. At 12 a.m., Jesus begins to pray. And he's waiting for his arrest. He continues to pray. Mark 14, 46 puts it this way. Just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the 12, appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. He said, the one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. 45 says, going at Jesus at once, Judas said, Rabbi, which means teacher, and he kissed him, which is a common greeting at that time. And the men seized Jesus and arrested him at roughly about 12 a.m. He was then dragged through a series of seven trials immediately starting with the first one at about 2 a.m. in trial number one. He was before the former high priest, who's now a chief elder in the Sanhedrin court, the Jewish court, and his name was Annas. And with Annas, he was beaten with rods. His beard was pulled out. He was severely abused. And then at 3 a.m., he was dragged before a trial with the new high priest. His name was Caiaphas, where Caiaphas mocked and beat him some more. And then he was thrown in a cell. And then two hours later, they had awakened the entire elders of the Jewish court, the Sanhedrin court. They gathered them all together for trial number three. And at 5 a.m. at daybreak, all the Jewish elders and scribes came together to make accusation against Jesus. Mark chapter 14, verse 61 says, but Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. They were throwing accusations and accusations Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the royal king, the promised one, the son of the blessed one? Are you really the Messiah, the son of God? Are you truly God in the flesh? And this is what he said. 
He said clearly in verse 62, I am, Jesus said, declaring his divinity in shackles when it's most least likely to be credible. He says, and you will see the Son of Man, that's me, coming at the right hand of the power of the Mighty One, coming on the clouds of heaven. He's, he's referring to a reference in Isaiah where the power of God is stretched out. The full authority and power of God that reigns forever, that's me. And then he says, 63, the high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses, he asked. You have heard the blasphemy, what do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some of them began to spit on him. They blindfolded him and struck him with their fists. And they said, prophesy. And the guards took and beat him. They had decided that Jesus must die. They had decided that Jesus must die. Now, it was not uncommon for the Sanhedrin to kill people. You might remember when that woman caught in adultery was dragged out into the street and was stoned to death. They didn't need Roman permission to kill Jesus. But they didn't just want to drag him out into the streets and kill him. They thought that would start a a Jewish revolt because Jesus had thousands of followers. So they thought it would be best if Rome condemned him to death, then they could wash their hands in the whole thing. So all they had to do was convince the local Roman government to convict him and kill him. So at 6 a.m., they dragged him to trial number four before the governor of the area. His name is Pontius Pilate. But Pontius Pilate looked at him and said, I don't even see anything that he's done wrong. He hasn't broke any of our laws. I find no guilt. So he says, go and ask the local mayor. Go and ask the local king. His name was Herod. He's the great-grandson of the one who killed all the babies when Jesus was born. So he was dragged off to trial number five at 7 a.m. before King Herod. But Jesus had so much disdain towards Herod that he wouldn't even talk to him. He talked to the Sanhedrin. He talked to Pilate. He would not open his mouth for a second to talk to Herod. Herod was a Jewish person who lived as a Roman person. He was very hedonistic. That means he he loved to embellish himself in the lusts of the flesh. And he despised Jewish culture and Jesus would not at all even talk to him. Herod getting mad at Jesus told him to leave. Wouldn't even, said just take him back and sent him back to Pilate. So at 7.30, he was dragged back to the governor, Pontius Pilate, where he was severely beaten and ripped apart and tortured beyond recognition For the crowd said, no, this is the one. The Pharisees said, this is the one. You must kill him, but but he's done nothing wrong. So Pontius Pilate decided that if he could just take Jesus and kind of mutilate him and beat him and torture him and rip him to shreds, that perhaps the Jewish people might just leave it alone because the last thing that Pilate wanted was a riot on his hands. The last thing he wanted was the followers of Jesus to rise up against the Roman guard because he was there to, to squelch and to bring down the already troubled region that was trying to fight against Rome. So seeking to satisfy Jewish leaders, he had Jesus beat to a pulp, shredded. And then he dragged him before the final court of appeal, the crowd. And at 8.30 a.m., they shouted, crucify! And Pilate condemns him to death and washes his hands in the whole thing. And at 8.30 a.m., 
Jesus begins to walk down the Via Della Rosa, the long passageway from the court, from the courtyard to the place called the Skull. It was a narrow, narrow alleyway that still exists today in Jerusalem. Exhausted, a foreigner is forced to help him. Here's what's amazing about this guy, the foreigner. He's from Africa. And the guy who helped him, the Bible says he was just there visiting from out of town. He possibly had never even heard of Jesus. And here he is in the crowd. He's dragged out of the crowd, forced to carry and to help Jesus, who was already, already dying. See, the the criminals would carry their cross to Golgotha, the place of the skull. But Jesus had already been so severely beaten, he could not hardly walk. So he was forced This man was forced out of the crowd to help him carry the cross. But we know this. This is amazing. Here's a guy who probably never heard of Jesus until he got there that day. But Acts talks about his kids serving Jesus. It's pretty amazing. I can imagine, I can see him gathering his little kids around. Say, come here. Let me tell you the story. The day I met Jesus. The day I held his bloody hand and carried his cross for him. That man became a follower of Jesus, and so did his children. He carried it to the place of Golgotha with Jesus. Arriving at Skull Hill, the crucifixion, be- uh, the crucifixion began at promptly 9 a.m. And at 9 a.m., the seven last words of Jesus began to be spoken. And at 9 a.m., as they began to hammer and nail his hands into a cross, he cried out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. In the time of his torment, he gave and shouted a word of forgiveness. As he hung there on the cross, a thief on, the, on his side began to repent while another one began to mock him. And one said, Jesus, remember me when you enter your kingdom And Jesus said, truly, surely today you will be with me in paradise. And in the moment of his pain, a criminal humbly repents and he gives a a word of assurance. As he stands there, as he hangs there on the cross, he looks down to see his mother, his earthly mother. Though he was on the cross and he was about the business of saving the world, He was never too busy for his family. And on the cross, he looks down and he says to the woman who was his mother, behold, your new son, John, who's with you. And told John, he said, behold, your mother, she is now your mother. You are to take care of her. He was looking out for his family, a word of love. What happened, what followed next was three hours of total darkness the Bible says that, it, that, it, that at that time, at 12 o'clock, with darkness covered, it's like the sun was weeping. It was the, the, the sky turned off. And at 12 p.m., the momentous final three hours of Jesus takes place. And while he hung on the cross, he shouted out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means in Hebrew, my God, my God, Why? Have you forsaken me? But as we found out, this was not a cry of desperation. This was a cry of declaration of the fulfillment of prophecy from Psalm 22. 
And as he hung there on the cross, carrying the weight of sin, he gave a word of substitution as he was the substitute for us. And as the day was growing to an end, knowing that his time was finished, he simply cried out, put it over here, I thirst. It was a simple prayer, a simple cry, a simple request for something to drink. It was a word of humanity. Luke 23, 44 says, it was now about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon for the sun stopped shining. And at that time, it says the curtain of the temple was torn in two. You see, back in Jerusalem, there was a temple. It was the most holy place for every Jewish person. It was the temple that represented God with them. And behind that temple veil were the holy elements of the ark. But to get through that temple veil, to go into the holy of holies, you had to be one of a handful of very special priests that had to clean and cleanse themselves very very meticulously just to have the ability to walk into that veil and not die in the presence and power of God. And about four times a year, they would walk through that veil. They would have a, have a rope tied to their ankle and a bell so that if they fell and dropped dead because they were of sin, they were able to pull their dead carcass out from behind that curtain. That thick curtain was a wall of separation between man and God. God's righteousness and our sinfulness. And the Bible says that when Jesus was on the cross, that veil tore from top to bottom as God himself tore it open. Making a way for us, for you, for me. Not just a few, but anyone who will go to the cross to have access to the Father. The three other gospels record this very same event. And when they recorded, they said there was a great earthquake and trembling. And there were even, we're going to talk about this next week on Easter. There were people that, that came alive out of the grave and they sat in their grave until three days later. And they didn't walk out of the grave and still, until the resurrection of Christ, but they came alive. They came back to life when the temple veil was torn. Pretty amazing. History records an earthquake at that exact moment. By 3 p.m., as his work on earth was fulfilled, he shouted out one of the most powerful and one of the most important words in the history of the world. Tetelestai! And he cried out, It is finished. One word that means accomplished, finished, it is done. Accomplished. With that one word, he declared that no longer do we have to pay or work our way to heaven, but the work has been done, the price has been paid, the substitution was enough. No longer do we have to work and pay for God's approval. We just look to Jesus, and Jesus is the forgiver. He has finished and paid for it all. Jesus speaks one final time, and this is our last word today. In Luke 23, verse 46, it says, And Jesus called out with a loud voice. That means a strong, victorious shout. This last word was not a squeak. This last word was not a, 
It was, yes! This last word was a declaration of completion and finality. This was a strong, loud voice. And he said, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. He's actually quoting Psalm 31. That whole song is a song of God's faithfulness. And there's a line in that Psalm 31 where it says, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And when he said this, Luke says he breathed his last breath and he died. That seventh word, that seventh last word was an important one. It was a word of commitment. It was a word that said his finished job, that he was done. Into your hands, I commit my spirit. It was a word of trust. What I want to do today is I want to talk about the next 12 hours of what happens with Jesus and unpack that very simple last word. Father, I commit my spirit. Here's the very last things of Jesus, three things that his words say there. He says, first of all, he says, Father, this is what I want you to know. What this speaks, the very last words of Jesus, what do they tell us? Number one, they tell us that, that his word, Father, speaks of his intimacy and relationship to God. This kind of goes back to at no point, at no time, did Jesus not become Jesus. At no point, at no time, did Jesus not become God. He didn't leave at any point his God's stature, his nature, his identity. He became fully man, but retained fully Godship. He was always in intimate relationship with the Father. This one word speaks of his loving relationship, of his divinity, and his humble submission to the Father. John 1.18 says this. He says, no one has ever seen God except or but the one and only Son who is himself God and is closest and is in closest relationship with the Father. He has made him known. Some translations say who is from the very bosom of the Father, from the very inside of who God is. Jesus is God. You see, when Jesus said, Father, he's saying, I am God, we are one. My Father is forever with me. This is what it says in John 8. I want you to read this passage with me in your notes or up above or in your Bible. It says, Jesus was not, there was a time when Jesus was told he was possessed by devils. The Pharisees hated Jesus so much that they often told Jesus that he was demon-possessed. One of those cases is in John 8. They just told him that you're demon-possessed. And Jesus said this in verse 49 of chapter 8. He says, I'm not possessed by a demon, but I honor my father, but you dishonor me. I'm not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Very truly I say to you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. At this they exclaimed, now we know that you are (laughs) demon-possessed. Because you just said you're God. You just said you have the power and authority of God and that your words are life. Now we know you're demon possessed. Abraham died and so did the prophets, they said. Yet you say that whoever obeys your word will never taste death? Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died and so did the prophets. 
Who do you think you are? I love this. Jesus says, if I glorify myself, the glory means nothing. Even though he had every right to declare, I am God's laser beam eyes and taking them all. He said, you know what? What does it profit? What does it gain if I push myself on you? It's for the father to do that. He says, my father whom you claim as your God is the one who glorifies me. I love this. Jesus has a great way of saying things. Verse 55, though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. (laughs) And he has a great sense of humor. (laughs) I love that. He says, but I know him and obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. Yet you are yet 50 years old. He's talking to a 50-year-old Pharisee. He says, you're 50. Uh, Because you're not yet 50 years old is what they said to him. And uh, they said to him, uh, and you've seen Abraham? And Jesus, one of the most important significant verses is verse 58 in the entire New Testament of the Gospel of John. He says, verily, verily, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. He says, you know, you know the father of your faith, the guy who you say is the ye man, the number one man of your religion? Abraham, not only did I know him, but I'm before him. And before Abraham, let me go all the way back to the great I am. The I am, the creator of the universe, that's me. The prophets, the, Mo, the Moses, yeah, I knew him. I spoke to him. I am the I am. Jesus answered, he said, before Abraham was born, I am. At this point, they picked up stones to kill him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. You see, the very one who cried out, Father, who gave his life, is now laying down his life. The very one who breathed life into you and me is now breathing his last one. This was not just the death of anyone. This was the one. John 17, one says, after Jesus said this, he looked down toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you've granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now, this is eternal life, that you know him, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had before this world began. Jesus is saying, I'm coming home, Father. He's about to return to the glory before he came to earth. You see, his blood was of infinite worth. The second thing he says, he says, into your hands, which means this. He says, it speaks peace and rest. It speaks peace and rest. <laughs> it's over. It's over. Into your hands. First to last, all he ever did was the will of the Father. He fulfilled his mission. Finally, the suffering Finally, the beating. Finally, the pain that he allowed himself to experience. Obedient to the Father is over. Think about it. His first words ever recorded in the Bible that he said, that were recorded, were, would would I not be about my father's business? I am about my father's business. When he was 12 and they they wanted to know where he was at, he said, wouldn't you know, I'm doing my father's will. And his last words were, Father, Father. 
I have done your will. His first words, I'm about my father's work. And his last words were, Father, the work is done. I'm coming back. In this, Jesus not only taught how to live, but he also taught us how to die. How to die with peace. Guys, you don't have to be afraid of death. In Christ, there's no fear in death. Some of you have lost loved ones and you are so fearful of the experience of death or seeing death, knowing someone you love is dying is painful and heartbreaking and the anxiety and the fear of what is in the afterlife or maybe for yourself, you're like, God, I just, you know, there's this anxiety. I talk with a lot of young people and they're just afraid of the unknown of death. And Jesus says, you don't have to be afraid of death to live. You see, I lived and I died in the same way. And that is to live fully trusting God and to die fully trusting God. God, that whatever this life brings to the end, it's in your hands. And even in his death, Father, into your hands. Philippians 1.21, Paul, the apostle, got it. He says this. He says, for to me, to live is Christ. And to die, well, that's gain. That's even better. If I go on living in this body, well, this will mean fruitful labor for me. He says, you know, as long as I have breath, I'm going to do the work of God. Some of you are unsure about your future and your health. As long as you have breath, do the work of God. As long as you have breath, live for Jesus. I remember the day that I got my cancer results back in 2009. I didn't know I had cancer. I just knew I was really sick and I felt horrible. And I didn't even know that day I was getting the results. But that morning I was praying. I was on my face and I was saying, God, I was in so much pain. I felt so sick. I was so horrible. Everything about me inside me was just, just crying out in anguish. And I said, God, whatever it is, I will live for you. I remember that so clearly. God, whatever is wrong with me, I will live for you. Three hours later, I got a phone call from my doctor who gave me the bad news that I had cancer. And I declared immediately, God, I will live for you. For into your hands, Jesus, I will live and I will die for you. You see, Jesus speaks of peace and rest. He goes on to say, Yet what shall I choose? He says, I don't know. I mean, to, to, to be alive is to great. I get to be with you. I get to do God's work. To die, that's great too. I get to be with Jesus. He says, I'm torn between the two. I desire to be apart and be with Christ or to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. So I have a question for you. How do you die? <laughs> and how you death can declare the will of God in your life, can declare the goodness of God in your life. Next week, we're going to talk about death, and we're going to talk about life. We're going to talk about the resurrection and our resurrection. There is no reason to be afraid of death. Bring someone. Bring a friend, because this life is a blink. This life is a blip on the screen. This life is a vapor, and then it's gone. This life is so temporary, but yet we invest and pour so much into this short life when there's an eternity. So much more important. But when we get that right, when we understand eternity, this life has value. But if we don't get eternity, this life is valueless. So here's the last thing that that 
thing on the cross, those words on the cross said, he says, I commit my spirit. Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And this speaks of power and passion. You see, most crucifixions, they were actually hanging on a cross for days. They would sometimes take the bodies and, and nail them up on the cross and let them bleed out. It could take days. Or they would hang them up there and attach them to a post and just let the animals tear them apart, let the wolves pick at them, let the birds of prey pick at them and tear them apart. It was a slow, painful, torturous, violent, evil way to kill people. It was meant to scare and intimidate. It wasn't just death. It's like this. It's like when you have a student, when you have a teenager and you ask, would you like a spanking or would you like to be grounded? What do they usually pick? They just pick the spanking. Why? Because it's quick and easy and painful, but it's over, right? And the grounding is long and painful and, ugh, right? Well, what, what crucifixion did it join the two of them? It was painful, but it wasn't short. It was long and painful. Crucifixion was violent and vile. It was a slow, horrible death, the dehydration, blood loss, infection, insanity, and wild animals, but not Jesus. His body was not to be dishonored. When payment was full, he chose the time and the very minute and second that he was to die because I commit my spirit speaks of power, his sovereignty, and his passion. You see, his body was his life to give. This is important. It's important to know that Jesus, his life was not taken. His life was not robbed. This was not some evil, sinister plot and plan to take down the only thing good that ever walked on the planet. His life was not taken. It was graciously given. Beneath all the controversy of who killed Jesus, was it Rome? Was it the Jewish leaders? The truth is Jesus gave his willingly gave his life willingly for the sins of the world. This is what Jesus said in John 10, 11. His mission was no mistake. He says, I am the good shepherd, Jesus says. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Just as the father knows me and I know the father, I lay down my life for the sheep. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me. No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. You see, Jesus was not some helpless victim of Satan. His life did not end suddenly or unexpectedly. He was not a martyr this suffering, this torture, this pain, this torment was his plan to save us. His entire life was spent in the shadow of the cross. From the moment he cried his first cry in a manger, the cross was in his shadow. Always on his heart, always on his mind, the confession and implication behind every word in scripture, the meaning behind every word he spoke, he was always moving towards the cross. In fact, here's a challenge for you. If you haven't started reading your Bible 
You should, because it's the life of God to us, entrusted to us. It's the power of God to those that will receive it and let the Spirit of God teach you through it. But guys, if you will read the Bible through the cross, it will come alive. From Genesis to Revelation, read it through the image of the cross. You see, Jesus is in Genesis. He's in Exodus. He's in Deuteronomy. He's in Leviticus. He's in every book of the Bible. He's in every gospel. He is in every letter in the New Testament. The cross is the message of Jesus. That very day, that ugly symbol of death and hate became a beautiful symbol of life and love, declaring the power and passion of God. His death, his broken body, his shed blood cleanses us, heals us, makes us whole, redeems us, brings us new life, brings us new death, brings us a new beginning, brings us vindication, brings us acquittal, brings an invitation to a sacred family and a holy adoption, a declaration of righteousness, a great exchange, an empowered life free from the shackles of sin and shame and sickness, the death of Jesus Those words into your hands, I commit my spirit is nothing less than an exhibition of the power of God on display for us. The just and holy one, faithful and true, has mercy on us. He has passionate love for us. God himself provided a way for us to know him. And at 3.30 p.m., the soldiers began to break the legs of the criminals. Why would they break the legs? It was when they wanted to wrap up the day, because it was Passover weekend, they did not want people on a cross during Saturday, the Passover. So they wanted to ensure that everybody on the cross that day was dead so that they get them off the cross and into the ground before Saturday, because they were not to work on Saturday. And many of times on the Passover, they don't work on Sunday. And they didn't want the bodies up in full display during the Passover for two days. So the soldiers began to break the legs of the thieves because their legs were the only thing that kept them alive as they forced themselves up through the cross, through the, the nails to breathe, only to fall back down. So they broke their legs so they had nothing to pull themselves up on. Therefore, they would suffocate and die quite quickly. So they broke the legs of each criminal. But by the time they got to Jesus, because Jesus had declared those words, he was already dead. And they did not break his legs, but to make sure, they stabbed him in the side with a spear. The Bible says what burst out was water and blood, for his insides had literally exploded. His heart had burst for us. And at that moment, seeing that Jesus was dead, It was over. Or was it? I want to tell you three responses to the cross that day. And we're going to watch a video here in a minute. I want you to prepare yourself for it. It's a, it's a violent video. It's scenes from the Passion of the Christ. But I think it's important. We're going to go back to a time of worship here in a minute. And when we do, I want us to, to be uh, mindful of this experience with Christ today. The communion table is open. I want to encourage you to take communion. The video will show and talk a little bit about communion as well. 
But there were three people at the cross, three types of people at the cross. And this is what they were in three verses. Luke 23, verse 47, it says, The centurion, one of the centurions, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. The two other gospels say that he declares that surely this is the son of God. This is a holy man. This is a man of divine power. When all the people, the second group of people, and all the people who had gathered to witness this sight, the Pharisees, the mockers, the crowd, when they saw what took place, they beat their chest in pain and regret and sadness and walked away. Verse 49, then there was a third group. There were his friends, the disciples that stayed around, his mother, those women, John, his apostle. He says, but all those who knew him, including the woman who had followed him from Galilee, that's Mary Magdalene, they all stood at a distance watching these things. They were unsure of what to think. And here's the three responses. Which one are you? The first one is this, is those closest to him were confused. They looked at him and they just watched from a distance. They're like, God, I don't, this is, it wasn't supposed to be like this. Some of you today are looking at the cross and you're looking at your life and you're going, God, I, I'm following you. My life is not supposed to be like this. It wasn't supposed to end like this. My marriage wasn't supposed to be like this. My kids weren't supposed to be like, my health, God, I've been following you. I'm confused. Many of us, we look at the cross and like his followers, we don't see the big picture. We don't see the kingdom. We don't see eternity. We see our life and we go, God, I'm confused. Where are you? And that's how they were. They were confused. They could not look away. It was not supposed to be like this. Things were supposed to be different when we followed you. They loved Jesus, but they were shocked and they were confused. The second group, the crowd, the crowd, they were convicted. They beat their chests. They moaned. They cried. Oh, what have we done? This is horrible. And then they went away, sad, back to their own life. And some of you today are here, and you're, you're looking at the cross. You're hearing the story of the cross, and you're going, oh, man, that's so sad. Man, what God did for us, oh, man, it's so powerful. I'm convicted. But sadly, some of you will be like that crowd, and you will walk away go back to normal. You'll walk away as if nothing ever changed. They felt bad. They sensed conviction, but they went back home. They went away sad and the same. Don't go away sad and the same today. The third type of person that was at the cross was the centurion who confessed. He says, surely, surely this is a righteous man. This was the son of God. This was, this man was innocent. This man was really, he praised God. Today, will you do something today? Will you look at the cross and respond like the centurion? This hardened, hearted soldier, the one possibly responsible for driving a nail into his hands or feet, surely responsible for his very death as he was the one over the other soldiers there, Shocked and humbled by what he heard, his heart was convicted and he turned and confessed worship. After watching and participating in the events of the day, the first recorded cry of faith after the cross is of one of the most hated people in all of Jewish culture. Not only was he Roman, but a Roman soldier. 
That's how God works. You might think you're the last person on the list that could ever know God. You might think you're the last person on the list that God would ever want. No, you're not. You're not. Just look to the cross. Look to the cross. As we look to the cross today, um, if you can remember anything, it's remember this. God is holy. Sin is ugly. Salvation is costly. In a moment, we're going to begin a time of worship and the communion table will be open. I want you to remember that when we take communion, we are remembering the cross. That's what communion is about. It's about remembering the blood that was poured, the body that was broken, his life that was given so that we might know the Father, so that we might know God. By 6 p.m., Jesus' body, by request and petition, is heard off to a borrowed tomb before sunset. And Jesus is closed up in a tomb. But just as there was silence and darkness for three hours while we were rescued from our sin, there's also a sense of darkness and silence for three days as God was preparing another trial. So I want to ask you, have you seen the Savior dying today? There are attempts to discount and discredit, but you can't ignore a piece of lumber that suspends the greatest claim in history. The cross demands a response. Which will you respond? Will you respond confused, convicted, or will you confess today? Because I know when I face death one day, and we're all going to see God's face someday, But when I face death, I have complete confidence that I will say, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Let's pray. Father, I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, Lord, that as we worship you and as we remember your body and broken flesh and your poured out blood, Lord, that we would not take for granted, that we would confess our praise submit our life and surrender and be in awe of the price that was paid. God, help us to live it. Lord, don't let any of us walk away sad in the same. Lord, let us walk away with a declaration of praise and humility. Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. As we worship, if you have sin in your heart, will you take some time to talk to God before you come to the table? Confess your sin. Talk to Jesus. Go to the cross in your heart and say, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. He is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin. Let's worship Jesus. Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.